had Chris said, uh, you can make one or two mistakes, that's put me at ease now. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've been, I've, like Chris, uh, been to most of the regions around Wales, New Wine Cymru regions, uh, to either visit or to speak. And I'm always made to feel welcome, um, um, which is great, it helps. Um, but this morning, I think I can say this is the most welcome I've felt in any region. And uh, I know, I know. Keep, it's not been live transmitted, this, is it? Because oh, I say this at every region. I just don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but uh, Abergavenny is quite hard to park, I gather. And um, I found a place, but it was only 30 minutes. And uh, at that point, the phone went, and it was Chris. Paul, where are you? Well, there's a car parked at the bus station. Just pull in there. I'll get John to explain how to get to the church. And I thought, well, that's very kind of you. And he explained, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty simple. I can do that. So I get to the car park, and I'm, I'm paying for You know these things where you, you pay, and it takes forever. I don't, we've got all this technology these days, and you stood there for about 10 minutes, like, you know, validating, validating, validating. Anyway, as I looked up, I saw this figure of a man stood in the gap, uh, the doorway through the wall, and it was John. And I thought, that must be John, because of gifted a sermon. I thought, it's John. <laughs> And he waved to me, and I waved to him, and then I got the thing, and walked over, and he said, I'm John, he told me a bit about different things, he walked, when we got to the, he, he opened the door for me, and I walked in, and then he had this receptionist, who was very pleasant, and then John said, you can go and get a cup of tea or coffee through there, and you had these two ladies, great ladies, very warm and welcoming, I could have stayed there all morning talking to them, but I managed to extract myself, <laughs> and then I came back, and John was still waiting for me. And he took me up the stairs and he opened the door and I walked in and I thought, wow, I, I'm glad I'm here. Uh, and that's the welcome. And um, uh, I am told by people who do the research in these things that when you meet somebody for the first time, you will make up their mind about them in 10 seconds. First 10 seconds, you've made your mind up about them. First 10 seconds, I liked you. <laughs> I liked you. And I, I say to our, our team at our church, some of the most important roles are the welcomers on a Sunday morning, the receptionists, we call them welcome as well, through the week, the first point of contact when you walk into a church, that first person, if it's their first time, within the first 10 seconds, they will have made up their mind about the person, but even more frightening, of the church, and then even more frightening, of Jesus. And you said, surely not. Test it, it's true. Now, you can, you can break through it at some point, but, but they may not come back again. So, so thank you. You made me feel welcome. I'm going to get you to come to do a seminar, a new wine leaders gathering. <laughs> How to do, uh, what do you call it? Welcoming. So thank you. You're well trained. Um, I'm sure it's natural. Uh, for you. So, I've just got a number of thoughts, uh, which are quite random, because I'm an eclectic brain. Um, but I thought I'd start by just asking, those who are in mainline leadership, either the, 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 or if you've got a single leadership, so to speak, single leadership, what would you say are your one or two biggest challenges at the moment? And I'll tell you mine, so that, you know, it gives you time. And one of my biggest challenges is I'm weary. I'm tired. 
Now, you look at me and think, well, that's a function of age. Yes, I know it's a function of age, right? Okay, I do know that. Uh, but it's more than that as well. Um, so I, I'm weary. And we've got a challenge in our church of 1830s. So, so those are the two challenges I'm facing at the moment. What, what, what about other people? Ooh, no challenges. Yes. I know. Yes. It is a big challenge because they're good people. Uh, they are good people. Yes. Say that now and remember that in a year's time. <laughs> That's right, yes. That transition is a big challenge. And one of the things, um, funny enough, on our leadership team, um, I'll be transitioning off at some point. And, uh, and when, with discussion with some of the potential leaders could do that, the thing that worries them the most is carrying the weight. So we have, we have a leadership team. We've got eight now on the leadership team, men and women, all equal. Nobody has, I don't have any more power or authority than anybody else. Uh, it's first amongst equals is the, the title we use. But it's no more power or authority. But, but because of that title, you, you carry the weight. And until you carry it, you don't understand it. And when you start it, you begin to understand it. You think, why on earth did I take this role on? Uh, so it is a weight, and they, they will be so blessed to let that weight go uh, and um, pass it on to somebody else. And you get the benefit of them happy and rejoicing and serving you well. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. Anybody else's challenges? Nigel. See, there's a good South African. He should have played rugby. People who don't stand, people who stand back and don't commit themselves. That, you can't say that of the, of the South African rugby team. <laughs> they do commit themselves. Yeah, that is frustrating, isn't it? Getting people to volunteer. Getting people to... to uh, and, uh, and there's a generation now in our culture, which we have to accept and work with it, is people don't understand responsibility and commitment. They just don't get it. Under a certain age of about 35, I'd say. And it's not because they are... It's just as ingrained in the culture. And it's hard. It's very frustrating. Exceedingly frustrating. Yes? Uh, two things. One is transferring from a Zoom economy yeah. to a, Back in person. It's frightening, yeah. And, and there's been growth in the Zoom economy. Yeah. Yeah. When do we make a change? Yeah. The second thing is, we've done lots of work on evangelism. Now we need to make it hit for the most effect. The back foot and the front foot. Yeah. Yeah. We've done work. We've had two years of thinking and praying and looking. Now we need to be bold. Again, the word of being bold. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry, what was your name? Wait, which church are you from? Julian. From? Uh, St. Edmund's in Krakow. St. Edmund's in Krakow. Oh, very nice. Nice part of the world to live, Krakow. Um, uh, that's very true. And I think that part of the weariness for me is you've just been through these two and a half years of COVID. COVID. Uh, 
<clears throat> and you've got to, whoa, step up again. And that's tiring, because you're already tired. What I do know is hybrid is in. Hybrid's in. Our church meeting, we're doing a Zoom. We've been back together now. Uh, we start in September, and then... Um, so we've been back together fully since January, really. Uh, but the prayer meeting is still on a Zoom, because we get more people to it. <laughs> um, so we're going to stick with that. But being back on a Sunday morning at the gathering is fantastic. Yeah, it really is fantastic. Uh, one more? But you've had a lifetime of it. We will allow you. To what, sorry? a very good and deep um, observation actually is that partly because you've stepped back and, and in a new season I won't use, use the word retirement in a new season It does. Let me pick that up if I can. And um, as I said, these are just some random thoughts. When uh, uh, Chris is a fantastic painter. I don't mean painter and decorator. He may be good at painting and decorating, okay? You're not. But he's great at painting, uh, artistic painting. You should get him, he's got him on his phone, I think. I'm going to embarrass you now, Chris. You should get him to see him. He could sell them. Honestly, he could sell them easily. Four, five hundred quid. They're fantastic. No, nobody would buy them. Something at the end. Okay, thank you. Um, but but a few years ago, I took up painting, and um, I, thought, oh, and I really enjoyed it using acrylics, and it's, it's quite liberating actually. I use it for prayer as well now. Sometimes I paint when I pray, and uh, but um, I decided I wanted to paint a, a picture for my dad for his Christmas present. And I thought, yeah, okay, so I'll start. So it was about June, and I'd start painting. I'm trying to do a landscape, and I, I love impressionist-type colors, okay? So I'm trying to paint this, and it's just hard work. So I decided I'll do a portrait. Now, why I decided to do a portrait, because I'm sure Chris will tell you, the harder to do, that, well, there are for me landscapes, but I did this portrait, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. Gets to December, I think, okay, that's it. That's as good as it could be. So we wrap it up, and uh, we go up to my parents, who were live then in Durham. And uh, we get there, and um, it's Christmas Day. We travel up on Christmas morning after the service, and I'm there, and I've got this... I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. What's my dad going to say? And so Jane's there, and my mother and I on one side of the room. My dad's over here, and he's, the chair he always sits in, uh, over here. And he begins to open it up. And you know when people come to you and say they've just had a baby and they show you this little baby and they say, don't you think he's the most beautiful thing in the world? And you think, not really. <laughs> it's pretty wrinkly, I must be honest. But you say, what a baby. Um, 
so my father, and he had that expression on his face. He's looking at it, perplexed. And my mother's holding her breath, and Jane's holding my breath. I'm holding my breath, and my dad goes, what is it? <laughs> so what do you mean, what is it? It's a portrait. Who of? I said, Jane. He goes, well, I've got to tell you, Jane, you're much, much prettier than this painting, right? <laughs> I know. So my dad, he didn't put it up in the living room. He didn't put it up in the toilet even. He put it in his bedroom, and he put it on the wall. So when he went to bed at night, it was facing him. Now, my brother, when he saw it, said, Paul, he must have gone to sleep every night and had nightmares looking at that painting, right? <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? Life is very complicated. And with that painting, I was trying to express something to my father that I should have been expressing through words. I was trying to say to him, I love you. This is my expression of it. And I know it's a rubbish painting. I know it's a rubbish painting, and that's not false pride. It is a rubbish painting. But I didn't say that. And you're quite right. We all times wear masks, depending who we're with or where we are. And that mask is defined by many things, but the relationship in your early years with father-mother does have a massive impact on your life as you go forward. It really does. And um, uh, there's something uh, called um, adverse childhood experiences. So if you've heard of it, it's big in social work and in youth work. It's where they, they look at uh, children's experiences and uh, they look at um, what occurs in childhood and how it affects people. And they list them. So here they are. Domestic violence, parent abandonment through separation or divorce, a parent with mental health problems, being a victim of abuse, physical, emotional, or spiritual, or sexual, being a victim of a neglect, physical, or emotional, a member of the household being in prison, growing up in a household in which there are adults experiencing alcohol, drug use problems. In Wales, 50% of the people have had one of those experiences. In England, 50% have had one of those experiences. In Wales, 14%. So think of your church, 100 people in your church, 14 people have had four or more of those experiences, which means to say their life is toxic and they need early intervention. And so they're trying to get that early intervention in. And you know what makes the significant difference to the early intervention? A significant other. A father figure, a youth worker, a church community, and I have no doubt that those figures are going up, because we are living, I was just saying to, to Chris at the beginning, folks, when I was driving back, I was with my sister in North Wales yesterday, when I was driving back with the news on, I thought, wow, we're in a pretty dire state as a nation. And if something doesn't change, we could begin seeing social unrest. Because the gap is getting wider between the poor and the rich. They feel totally disempowered and disenfranchised. They've got a government who lies left, right, and center. Trust in politics is gone. The only hope is the church. It's the church. It's you and I. And we've got to love them. And the church has been healing for me. Because my father, he loved me. He did love me. I have no doubt whatsoever. But... 
he did damage me. He damaged me through his emotional control. He was, um, he was, uh, he was uh, emotional bully, frankly. And uh, he was depressive, I'm pretty certain. And uh, he had a tough childhood to understand why. And he, he self-medicated with whiskey. And when, when I go home and walk in through the front door, it could be just inches in, and I know exactly what mood he was in by the atmosphere. That affects you. That affects you as you grow up. And I'm in my 60s, and I'm still dealing with it. But we've got to be honest and real about it, haven't we? And we've got to share with people. So I have seen a counsellor. I really have seen a counsellor. And she's been great. It's fantastic. They sit there listening to you talk. And they don't say anything critical or negative. It's great. Um, I see a spiritual director, which is even better, because they say very little. Apart from, you should sit with it, Paul, for a while and think about it. But it affects, it affects who I am as a leader. It affected who I am as a husband. It affected how I express myself. And so you're right. These things are important. And in leadership, you can put on a veneer, and you can hide behind the leadership mantle. Uh, but inside, there are challenges. So I'd encourage you, talk to somebody. You know, afterwards, you're going to have prayer, aren't you? A prayer ministry. And it, prayer will do wonderful things, but, but it's, it's, it's a journey. It is a journey, and I'm still on it. You know, I'm still on it. Um, that came from nowhere, but I thought I'd share that with you, partly why I asked the questions. One of the things that uh, I've learned coming out of uh, lockdown with church is from, funny enough, from youth work. From, there's an organization called Quivis, which is a national UK organization of youth workers, uh, state youth workers. And they invited faith groups to come and join them, but, but, but nobody joined them apart from our church. Uh, and Jane went on it. And it's a fantastic network and a fantastic resource. One of the things that came up was youth work, intellectual and children's work, is going from the big to the small. In other words, in my day, you didn't have anything such as, you know, health and safety and all that sort of stuff. I'd get 80 young people in our big hall running around like nuts and uh, uh, be three of us helping. I mean, these days you'd be taken to court for that. Um, what good did it do? Did it do any good? Uh, I don't know. But I do know now, going forward, our youth worker is doing small. Small and deeper. Small and more time. Our children's worker took me three months to persuade her, has capped one of the children's clubs at 30. Because 30, with the amount of help she has, which is not many, they can go deeper. So one of the things we're looking at is smaller but deeper. And I'm not talking about the Sunday morning. I pray that grows and grows. But in terms of other stuff, it's smaller and deeper. And one of the things I love that Chris was telling me about, you, you, if I'm right, you're just gathering people now just to have coffee and to chat and to share. That's right, isn't it? See, that's a great thing to do. Listening to people, giving people... That's what they need at the moment. People want to be listened and heard and tell their story, what they've been through. And so we're trying to do that, and, and we're flawed, and, and we don't get it right. Other things that bug you, you know, for example, uh, I, when, when I pull into a car park, there are, uh, what do you call it, disabled parking spaces, aren't there? 
And uh, sometimes I see somebody pull in and they've not got a disabled ticket on it. That really bugs me. <laughs> I don't know why, but it bugs me. It bugs me when I watch films set in Cardiff or in London or anywhere, and they're going somewhere, and they've got to get there quickly. They always find a parking space right outside the place they're going to. <laughs> it just, just bugs me, really. And um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, some people who've been in, uh, a person who'd been in Glenwood for 20 years uh, uh, came up to me, and I will get to some scripture in a minute. I, sh I should tell you, by the way, I I'm a storyteller. Uh, that's, that's what I do, okay? So, but I'll come to that, because I think it's the best form of communication, but there we are. Um, they came, somebody came to said they're going to leave Glenwood because the teaching wasn't deep enough. Now, they've been in our church for 20 years, okay? So I'm thinking, what does it mean? Does it mean it's like a trench in the back garden? It's not that deep. Does it mean it's like the Arizona Grand Canyon? It's massive. Uh, uh, I don't take it as an insult, personally, for two reasons. One, as I told you, I know I'm a storyteller, and that's what I'm called to do. But we have a teaching team of seven, and some of them are great communicators and more expository in style. But they are talking about a style. That's what they're talking about. Uh, and Jesus, what was Jesus' biggest way of communicating? Parables and stories. Do you think the disciples... After Jesus told, you know, ten parables or something, he went up to him, Jesus, listen, mate, they're great stories, but hey, it ain't deep enough, really. Come on, let's have some deep teaching. And it, uh, 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 are you honestly telling me then 2022, with all the technology, even if Glenwood's teaching is shallow and rubbish, which it's not, but even to think that, for goodness sake, you can listen to a talk for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year, and it'll be a different talk from a different person all around the world. And what are you going to do with it? And what's your definition of church? Is it that half-hour talk in the middle of a service? And as I said, don't get me wrong, I, I, I studied theology. I'm thinking, flipping, Nora, did you really? Yeah, I studied theology. <laughs> At Trinity College in Bristol. I know, it's an Anglican college, so there we go. I know, some people love it, other people think, just goes to prove. Yeah, yeah. Uh. And uh, we, we used to run a Bible school, we're starting them again, we used to bring Rogers Forster down, so I'm all for that type of teaching. But we need to have a different understanding about learning. About 12 years ago, and I recommend it, I know it's a different place now, I recommend it. Rob Bell wrote a book called Velvet Elvis. And it is a great book, I have to say. And um, he, he tells how, for the Jewish uh, people, uh, uh, at around six, uh, the Jew was taken to, the boy, little boy was taken to the local synagogue, and he would have his first level education in the Torah. It's called Bet Sefer. And until the age of ten, eight to ten, he would learn the first five books of the Bible. So he could quote them word for word by the age of eight. At that point, there was a bit of a filtering process, and the ones who didn't manage it or whatever were, were shoved out. And these kept going, and uh, they went to something called Bet Talmud, which means the house of learning. And there they would learn all 39 chapters uh, in the Old Testament, further on in the Old Testament. And um, 
And at the end of that, the people who didn't manage that were shoved on. They became carpenters and fishermen. The best of these then decided that they, they wanted to, um, to find a rabbi who they could follow and learn from. And this was called a, a Talmidim. The Talmidim is a disciple. You become the Talmidim of a rabbi. But, but you'd go to the rabbi and he'd interview you. And he would decide whether he wanted you to join or not. And once he decided you were to join, uh, the, 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 the goal wasn't just to get to know what the, the rabbi knew. The goal was to do everything the rabbi did. So when he went to eat, you went to eat with the rabbi. When they went uh, uh, to go for home, they would follow him into his home. And one of the highest accolades a parent could say of his child, it's not that he's a doctor or a lawyer, or she's a doctor or lawyer. My son is a Talmudin, a disciple of this rabbi. That was, that was it. That was the status. And uh, they would follow him. And uh, there's debate about whether this person did say, it was a lovely phrase, Yosef ben Yosa, who was, was a rabbi, said that cover yourself with the f- dust from the feet of the rabbi. You follow him so closely, you can feel the dust. And so, here's my... Bible passage from Matthew, Matthew 5. And there I've got a question. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So here's the question. Why were they fishing? Bit of a dumb question, I know. Why were they fishing? Very good, very good. They were fishing because they hadn't made the grade. They were second best. They'd either been kicked out at the age of 8 or 10 or kicked out at the age of 14. But they weren't good enough in that Jewish culture. But then here comes Jesus. And he says to them, come follow me. Sorry, me? Follow you as a rabbi? Me? Yeah, jump out the boat, follow him, give everything up, and begin to follow him, to observe him, and to watch him, and to live with him, and to learn from him. Jesus says, uh, uh, remember, uh, everything uh, uh, I learned, I passed on to you. Everything I learned, I passed on to you. And so they wanted to learn. So here's the question. Um, they followed Jesus, and they watched him, and they watched him praying, and they asked him a question Teach us how to pray. Now, in one sense, you ask, why are they asking that question? Because in the Jewish culture, and the Jews knew how to pray. They had prayers. They would pray when they were in the synagogue. So why are they asking Jesus, teach us how to pray? This is why. When Jesus prayed for the sick, they got healed. Not many did that. When Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, there was an intimacy which they'd not experienced. And they wanted to pray the way that Jesus prayed. And it wasn't teach me how to pray theologically. It was teach me how to pray from the heart, to have my heart beat with you, Jesus. That's what I want. And so, yes, I am for teaching, but I I do want us to understand that it's, it's not just teaching. It's a whole lifetime of learning.
And one of the best ways I've learned is this. We've had many guest speakers. We're very fortunate down the years, and uh, some you know of, Tony Campolo, Christy Wimber, uh, Gerard Kelly, many, many. And uh, some churches, when you get a guest speaker, will send somebody else to pick the speaker up and bring them to church and take them back. I always collect the speaker. I always collect them and take them to the airport. Uh, for two reasons. One, I think it's a nice welcome, but more importantly, you learn more in that journey in the car than from the talk or from the books they've written. And so therefore, one guy said, yeah, I'll take you back. Which airport are you going from? And he goes, Stansted. I thought, oh, flipping, all right, it's a long way. But, but I tell you, the nuggets I got from driving in there. So yes, teaching is incredibly important. But as we move on, we've got to be into the learning experience, learning together. And the final thing, as I come uh, to finish, to land, I think some people say, is this. And uh, this does really bug me. And it's Facebook. And people who post on Facebook, or TikTok, if you want to be young and trendy, people who face on and send you photographs of when they've been in the Maldives on a sunny beach. And you just walked into Gateway Church in the pouring rain. And there's somebody with a pina colada sat on the beach. I don't want to know. Frankly, I really don't want to know. If I hate you, I must be honest. I, I just don't want to know. And um, I don't know why. And they show you their food. You get a photograph of a plate of food, and you think, get a life, for goodness sake. But where it is dangerous is Facebooks that are always positive about what's happening in the church. Always positive. And you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not my experience. Yeah, sure, the positive things are happening. But, but there's nothing negative. And by negative, I do not mean slating another leader off. By negative, I mean it's a bit tough at the moment in our, my season. Could you pray? You don't get that. And um, one of the things is, is because uh, it challenges my insecurities. It challenges, humanly speaking, uh, uh, the number in church, and I was in a meeting somewhere, and so you can't work out who it is, okay? Uh, I've been to North Wales, West Wales, North of England, okay? So there's your spectrum. But I was in a meeting, and we sat in a circle. It was, it was a training meeting, so to speak. I was sat in a circle. There were six people, me and five others. And um, uh, somebody said, uh, so three of these churches were 18 on, under. Three of them were 100, maybe 150, possibly. So this one person starts going, how many in your church? Uh, I saw that part. Oh, flipping Nora. So you think, how many in your church? Okay, let's say 200. No, no. Let's add another 100. 300. <laughs> let's, th let's throw in uh, the dogs as well. And Okay, 350. 350. And they look at me and say, oh, I thought you were bigger than that. What does that say? What does that say? But... Then they go around, and then this person, I can't believe it goes. And somebody says, well, go on, tell us how many in your church. A thousand. Now, fantastic. Okay? Fantastic. But I am human. Okay. And, and the people who got 40 or 50 in their church, I don't know what help that's going to be to them. But I'm sitting there thinking, hold on a sec, I know the church. How, how do you get a thousand? I said, okay, I think, okay, well, they'll get back 200 in the morning, I might get 200 in the evening, and, and then the live stream. 
and they get four or five hundred likes from Guatemala and from Vietnam and from Australia. But they count that as being part of the church. Trust me, it's nothing to do with church. Right? But it creates these great insecurities. And I'm talking to you probably, but in Cardiff, there's a bit of a merry-go-round at the moment of people moving around churches. You know, it's fascinating to watch. Um, and um, partly to do with what we talked about earlier, under 30s, under 35, this issue of no commitment to new brightest things on the, on the, in the block, and they go to that, and the next new brightest thing will come. And Psalm 51, 16, renew a loyal spirit within me, Lord. Commitment to the local church, commitment in the good times, commitment in the bad times. And, but it puts pressure on us. It puts pressure on us. Somebody joined uh, our church recently, and we had a welcome meal. I'm talking to them, and they said to everybody, oh, Glenwood's a fantastic church. We feel so loved and welcomed, and uh, 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 what they're saying is the previous church wasn't. And I said to, to a couple of leaders who were on the table after, I said, listen, give them five years, and I suspect there'll be at another church saying, oh, you're so loving and caring. I hope they don't, but it probably will happen. And we have this idea of what success looks like, what it looks like. When Jesus died, humanly speaking, he was a failure and a flop. He had his mother, a couple of women, and John at the cross. That was it. But we know that Jesus had to die to rise again. And that was his success. We have to die to self. And I think somebody said it earlier, just do what God's called you to do and nothing else. Can I just finish with one last story? You know, it's a ter- people do that to me. I'm sat there. Do you mind if I just finish one last story? And you're sitting there thinking, oh, for goodness sake, shut up. Yeah, it's okay. Finish with the story. Um, it's about a woman called Jill. I can't remember her surname at the moment, but it doesn't matter. Remember woman called Jill, who uh, in the 1930s, um, her mother took her to the primary school, and she was always getting into trouble, and she was a fidgeter and wouldn't sit still, and they, they labelled her as having a learning difficulty which is a terrible thing to do um, without any tests. And uh, this mother was very, very brave for back then. And she went to see a psychologist and took her daughter with her. And for 20 minutes, explained about her daughter. And after 20 minutes, the psychologist goes uh, <clears throat> to the little girl, hey, listen, if you don't mind, I just want to take your mother out for a few minutes, and uh, then I'll come back. And... Um, she said, okay, then, so they get up to her, and he, get up, he puts the radio on, and music begins to play. And when he gets outside, the door's left open. He said, hold on a sec. And within about five seconds, the little girl gets up and begins to dance around the room. And the psychologist goes, your daughter's not got a learning difficulty. She was born to dance. She was born to dance. She then took her daughter to dance lessons. She went to the Royal Ballet and danced. She formed her own company, she then met Julian Lloyd Webber and has been involved in some of the biggest productions in the West End. How did that happen? Somebody recognized she was born to dance. Do what God's called you to do. 
Release the dance in you. Don't try and do something you, you're not good at. I'm not a strategic thinker. I'm rubbish at it. And I've tried. And it's a disaster. Do what you're good at. I wanted to be an expository preacher. I was rubbish at it, as you probably can work out. I was rubbish at it. But I believe God's given me the gift of communication. Dance with it. What it is that God's given you. Let me pray and then I'll hand over to Chris. Father, thank you for this lovely group this morning. Delightful people, Lord. And each with a story uh, that few of us know, but you do. And I pray, Lord, that you will come. And Father, for issues from the past, Lord, come, I pray, and release people. Help them as they journey through this, Lord. Thank you for helping me to journey through some of the questions I've had and the effects, Father. Thank you. Thank you, your loving Father. And Lord, help each one of us recognize the dance that's within us and to dance with joy at the gift you've given us, I pray, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's appreciate Paul. Come on. I mean, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We love you and appreciate you, Paul. So it's amazing what the Lord's been speaking this whole season. I mean, we had Julian with us last night. Paul didn't know that. And again, some of the echoes coming through. One is, you know, there's, there's, there's a need outside. You know, and there's Paul started off by saying, you know, we're getting into a world outside. But we, when we see need, I mean, when we see need, we see kingdom opportunity. What an opportunity right now for the church to step in. And of course, two things. Again, just let's not box ourselves into patterns and styles that we were used to. And therefore, let's not dismiss what we think we are not used to. Because God is doing and working in different ways. Different ways. I mean, I mentioned about small and deep. We are on a journey on small and wide. <laughs> I like the deep one as well. Small, wide, and deep. We'll include that one in our context. Why am I saying this? Is because right now there's a blank canvas. And allow the Holy Spirit to paint the picture. Individually, corporately. There'll be battles. There'll be challenges. The devil's not going to sit tight and say, yep, take the harvest in. But as we run together with his grace, his strength, his capacity, He'll help us. So I thought, let's take a few moments, pray for one another. Lovely to do that. But just take a minute or two, just again, I, I, I love doing this after we've heard something, just in our own personal way. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Just take a moment or two. Just bow our heads. Is Helen around? Thank you, Father. Let the Spirit just encourage us. 
renew our minds. Yeah. We love you, Father. Help us in our in the context of where we are serving. Thank you for I thank you for encouraging us this morning, affirming us, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you for affirming each of us this morning. Wherever we are, you placed us for a time such as this. Brian brought that word earlier. You are in the right place. Sometimes it may seem, wow, it's not nothing's going for me, so maybe this is the wrong place. The Lord's put you where you are for a time such as this. Only thing, let your imagination run wild. Because <laughs> he's got the script. And even if it's just faithfully doing what we're called to do, he's got it. The cloud is covering us. It's with us. Thank you, Father. Let's break into fours or whatever, roughly around that. Take the next five, six minutes prophesying, praying, encouraging, building each other up. Let's do that as a family. We're leaders in this place. Break into fours, approximately, and just minister to each other. Then we'll pray for a couple of things together, and then we can go. Thank you, Jesus.